welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today I'm talking with Natalie Morgan, who I've known for a little while um, and is a miniature painter and a dungeon master and a D&D player, but some of you might know from her Instagram account. I had a great time. I always have a great time talking to my guests, uh, but it was really good to catch up with Nat again and talk to her about just this this wonderful hobby that we enjoy. We really got into some of the, the different modules. It's interesting, a lot of the people I talk to have homebrew games, um, and it was really, really good to talk to someone who's just kind of played through most of the, the D&D Wizards of the Coast modules, because uh, I think that's a lot of what people experience. Uh, but we also talk about a lot of the, the miniatures that, that Nat's painted um, and some of the techniques, and it was really, really inspiring it got me to want to go out and get my paintbrushes out and and start painting again so uh let's get into the episode um but i do love them and of course they know when you're allergic they love mm-hmm. you they'll smother you and yeah <laughs> There's something about the smell. They're just like, yeah, you smell different. I'm going to check <laughs> yeah. that out. Yeah, I reckon. So were you playing a game today? I was. I, well, I wasn't playing. I was DMing. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's still playing. Yeah. You're still part of the group that's playing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that was fun. We had an interesting session. We, It's in the Ghosts of Saltmarsh campaign. Yeah. And uh, it was their first time playing underwater. Ooh, yes. Underwater. I feel that every campaign at some point goes, right, we need to go underwater. (laughs) And sometimes the character's like, no, just not going to do that. And sometimes you suddenly discover this whole new world of problems for rules and and dungeon masters. I know, yeah. Because I'd looked it up, I, I researched and tried to be prepared. And I also prepared the players. I, you know they knew where they were going for this mission and they knew that the area was going to be submerged. And I did warn the players. I was like, this is how combat works. I didn't want them to get to the place and then realize that they're going to have disadvantage on every attack unless they have X weapon or, you know, so I gave them a bit of downtime to go shopping and, and things like that. And the wizard could prepare um, underwater breathing spell and things like that. So they, they can they are prepared to uh, take on the situation, but it was still interesting even for me. I was like, hang on, how will stealth work oh. underwater? You no, know, sound is different. They can speak underwater because they can breathe, but can you actually hear? Sounds are muffled. I mean, you know, it, it is kind of muffled, yeah, but yeah. it's there's still that that element of it's not it's not the vacuum of space where there's no sound whatsoever there's just those exactly and there's nothing online you have a look you type in underwater talking 5e and everything is just can you cast spells yes you can you can it has a verbal component yep but there was nothing about actually how will speaking work if you're trying to organize with your group with your party let's go this way we just kind of ruled it that it's difficult. Use the message cantrip and use, you know, actions, kind of point mm. and gesture. Come Hand signals. Way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, 
that was interesting. We just, I just kind of went with it, went with the flow and it was fun. Ha, go with the flow in the water. <laughs> yes. Got to have some puns. Yeah. D&D is built on puns. Ah. They're learning very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So it goes to Saltmarsh. So I'm guessing they're probably up to the Sahuagan Fortress if yes. they're going underwater. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I ran that for, uh, for my group a while ago. How did it go? They didn't make it underwater. Uh, one of the the characters was just like, not nope, not getting in the water," really? because they were their character was deathly afraid of going underwater at all. Oh, so good when the campaign's all around water. Yeah, well, I just wanted them to, <laughs> to go through there, and yeah. um, really, I just wanted that assault at the end. Yeah, like I wanted them to go through, realize what the threat was, go back, and they're like, "All right, cool. Well, we kind of know what the threat was, so we'll just go back." I'm like, "Oh." That's a session that I was suddenly having to move up in the in the in the marching order, so that'll be fun. That's hilarious. But yeah, that's a, a great encounter for it. So, yeah. how long have you been running Salt Marsh for them? Oh, we started um, end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually started the campaign for my boyfriend's dad because he's been lonely. Yeah, and. My boyfriend was like, oh, I really think this would be good for his mental health because we play so much. And there were several times where he was around when we were playing and he was really interested in watching us play. And so, yeah, it was just sort of a good social thing for him. And then it was a whole heap of other guys. So there's five players um, and I'm the DM and all the rest are guys. Uh, One of our players is in California. So we've had a little bit of, he's stuck there due to COVID. So we've been playing a lot more since lockdown hit because we can play on the weekends um, and everyone's free. Yeah, that's what I'm finding as well, that you can, during lockdown and during COVID and isolation, there's that lack of commute. So everyone's like, well, I've got an evening. I can just play D&D. I don't have to worry about getting to someone's house and making sure we've got all the stuff and making sure everything's set up. It's just, yeah, we'll log on for a few hours and we'll play a game as long as no one's got anything else to do, which we don't. (laughs) And for me, I actually love it because we're almost always the hosts. There's no cleaning the house. Oh, it's great. Running around, (laughs) spending two hours making the house spotless, getting snacks together and everything. Uh, You just start. Yeah. You just sit down and start the game and all they see is what is in the camera. And you don't even have to use the camera if you don't want. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you don't really need it. We use Roll20. Yep, um, I was about to ask. Yeah. How are you uh, finding Roll20? Yeah, good. Um, I'm a researcher, so I watched a lot of YouTube clips and mm-hmm. um, read a lot of stuff online. So I do utilize it more than I've seen other people use things. You know, okay. some people are quite basic. Um, yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> some of the things really help, like the turn tracker. It make it speeds up combat, um, yeah, and also just the immersion of getting people to pick their images and then making a token um, for exactly what they want, and yeah, it's nice. Makes it feel a little bit more like a video game. Yeah, but it have getting it uh, being able to personalize your token that really does make it well more personal. Yeah. I think that you're able to like getting the the right mini. For, yeah, for your exactly. character you have this 
this um, representation, this avatar of yourself, or the of the character on the board that you can see and move around or have moved around for you, mm. which I think is what the appeal of miniatures are. Um, it just gives that extra thing because theater of the mind's amazing. That's mm. really what it was. D and D was kind of built on, but having the miniatures there and having the tokens there, it gives that extra level. Yeah, I definitely, find. and it also helps especially when you've got maps like Roll20 or when you're using miniatures and terrain, it helps as a DM to make um, situations a bit more dynamic as well. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, I've got a pole here or I've got a doorway there. I'm going to, or even a, I had in Saltmarsh, do you remember the, the crocodile? Um, yeah. Yeah. The crocodile yeah. in the swamps. Exactly. He's in the swamp. That was fun because you get to, use the monster he attacks he lunges at the edge of the swamp and then he disappears under the water and the players mm -hmm. don't know where he's going to come up again mm -hmm. using the terrain that way it makes it more interesting and different a combat situation to normal yeah, yeah. and you find that as you get into the much higher levels um that the terrain and the the situation around the encounter is a lot more interesting than just this is the monster you're fighting now yeah, it's like which... just fighting a crocodile. Yeah, you're fighting a crocodile. Fighting a crocodile that can go under the water and just leap up out of anywhere. It suddenly makes it this tense, really terrifying encounter. Yeah, and it makes them think about, well, where should what should we do? How are we going to find where it is? Should we stand at the edge where it can lunge at us and bite our heads off, or should <laughs> you know how how are we going to tackle this um, strategically? Um, yeah, and it's doing it that way. It's, it's a little bit more interesting for me than when we first started and we just had a whiteboard and we put little X's uh, to show where we were or the enemies were and just use numbers. Yeah, um, and it ends up kind of looking like a football playbook. Exactly. X's moving around everywhere. Yeah, it's quick to set up and it was super useful when you're just learning the game. But now I think we appreciate having a little bit more. Hmm. Yeah. So were you into miniatures before you got into D&D or did they no. kind of collaborate? Yeah. Um, no, not at all. Um, I started D&D or the first time we played D&D was at the first PAX Australia. Oh, wow. That would be 2015, I want to say? I think it was 2013. Wow. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were really into board games. I'd always wanted to play D&D. And they had a few tables set up at PAX where people were going to introduce you to the game and you could sit down with your friends and have a play with an experienced DM. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to see what it would be like with someone who knew what they were doing. And PAX goes over three days. Each day from day one, we went straight there and we said, can we put our names down? When are you free? When can we all play? And he was packed for the whole weekend. <laughs> Finally, we got a spot on the last day of PAX. And it was just so much fun. We fell in love. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was just going to say, then we bought the starter pack with the Lost Mine of Bandelva. And one of us learned to DM. Mm -hmm. And it was just hooked. Yeah. What were you going to say? Once you have the bug bite you, it, you can't get away from it. So if you have that first experience and just this, this is something I really like. Suddenly it's like, I just want to do it all the time. I can, you end up running six or seven games or, or um, having a mountain of books 
I just look over at my bookshelf where I've got everything. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, every single person I know, you, you start it, like you said, that first bite, and then it's just obsession from there on. And, you know, there's only one way, really. It's just pure love, and I want to keep playing it. Yeah, so, you, you never want to stop. And it, there's something about just getting to use your imagination. Yeah. That having this this rule structure in place that you can then share the narrative with other people and and they get to enjoy what you're creating as well. Yeah, exactly. And just telling the story together. Um, it's Yeah, there's nothing like it. Um, so that how I mean if you started 2013 you've been probably been playing about nearly seven years now yeah so I think we didn't start the first game that we did ourselves until maybe 2014 so it's probably more likely six years mm-hmm. um, and I started as a player uh, in the Fandelva campaign and then well, what uh, character did you pick just this the is cleric. Always the cleric I yeah. find it interesting what people are drawn to their first character yeah um yeah i just i wanted to i didn't mind being the healer and it's actually kind of the same thing in every campaign that i'm in i'm happy to sit back and wait for everyone else to choose theirs and then i'll fill in the gaps what does the party need and go from there when i create my character yeah yeah kind of go with what what's lacking in this group that i can play the role for Yes, exactly. And for me, I've realized over the years that that makes, it definitely means that you know you're contributing Mm -hmm. and you feel useful. Um, Yeah, it's just always worked out really well. And I've kind of gone with that. Although actually the last character I made, I decided I wanted to be an artificer. Oh, cool. Yeah, and just went with that idea. Awesome. So tell me about the cleric then. And we'll get onto the artificer in a second. So what's, when you was, just went, okay, so I've played a, a game at PAX. I kind of know the rules. The cleric, that seems like an interesting choice. What what did you create this cleric for? What were they, were they a life domain? Did they have, what kind of backstory did you give them? Or did that develop as you were playing or did you come yeah, to it straight away? That one, I didn't have a lot of input in that one. You were given the character sheet for the starter pack oh right so it was one of the the pre-generated characters exactly yeah Yeah. because i think we thought we better go with that we've we don't really know much you know we only played a couple of hours on that packs a year ago um and so we thought we'll just see how it is this is kind of as you say the pre-generated characters are kind of the ideal party as well yeah so um they're the base party yeah exactly so and i thought i don't really know anything about role playing so i'll go with what the sheet says um and do my best and it doesn't it doesn't help if you haven't created your own character so i found role playing a lot harder with that first character especially because a lot of i remember part of his personality was that he never took charge in situations and he never trusted himself and so and it depends on your makeup of who else you're playing with but if you find a lot of people in the group are passive then and you i'm naturally not passive 
it's a little bit tricky to play when you're kind of like, come on, guys, we need to decide what we're going to do here. So Yeah, suddenly yeah. you can't be the person who's like, well, I don't take charge in this situation because no one else is. Someone's <laughs> got to. Yeah, so it was quite conflicting and definitely not my favourite, but mm. I still loved it. Yeah. So I always find that interesting because it feels like if you're suddenly acting in a way contrary to what you had the character in when you were designing them, I always feel like it's a character growth moment. Yeah. That they've yeah, stepped out of their shell and they're realizing, well, maybe this is something that I didn't think I could do before, but now I can because I've encountered these these um, other people who need me to step yeah, up into this command definitely. position. Yeah. I guess I didn't think too much into it back then. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you weren't running Fandelva, um, the starter set then. When did you step behind the screen and start running games yourself? Mm, um, probably if few years later a couple of years later uh, i decided to um, dm the princes of the apocalypse campaign for a new group of people and yeah it was my first time dming and i think someone read somewhere that it wasn't too hard a campaign for a first time dm so i picked up that one and yeah that was that was good. But it, it's one enormous dungeon crawl, basically, if you haven't played it. No, it is very yeah. much like a video game because that's where it originally came from. It was the... Um, well, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, it the... read, when I read through it, it felt very much like, okay, so this is the boss level. This is the fire level. This is the water level. This is the earth level. This is the air level. Yeah. And you just kind of have these little options of which way to go occasionally. Yeah, and then there are sub-levels below those levels. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge slog. Um, but the first part of the campaign is quite strong and very fun. It's mm -hmm. just that at first, I think, as a player, if you're not a strong DM, it's a little confusing the situation of where to go next kind of thing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that, that was good. And it ended this year. We wow. played. We probably played for three or four years all up. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive because that is a, it is a massive campaign because I think that goes up to what level fifteen. Yes, uh, they ended. Yeah, I think they were level fifteen or so. Yeah, definitely. Just out of curiosity, because you kind of get the choice of which prince of elemental evil they're going to fight in the end. Which one did you go for? I went with um, Imix, the fire. Yes. Yeah. I love I Imix. Yeah, and the situation at the end was just so epic with the kind of lava and um, the fire. The It was just amazing. And it had a sun. It had an actual sun floating yeah. above everything. And so that was really cool and an epic yeah. ending. I just ran that encounter for another group and it just looks so cool because a massive colossus standing out of the uh, out of the lava with magma pouring from its eyes while this yeah. sun emerges above its head. It's yeah. It is an appropriately epic game. I mean, it's Prince of the Apocalypse. It really should be. Yeah, definitely. That's a, it just looks so cool. Oh, yeah, the players loved it. Um, and, yeah, I think it was an appropriate ending for the whole campaign. Although it would be kind of nice to homebrew something after it, mm -hmm. especially because one of my play characters did get banished to an alternate dimension at some point and... They are pretty obsessed with trying to find out where he went. Do you know where he went? He, oh, it's a little rude actually, but he's basically in a place where time is uh, kind of cyclical. 
Oh, cool. And he's floating in a sea of his own excrement. <laughs> so it just, he keeps cycling through, but the, the body waste just keeps staying yes, there and building up and building up. Yes. And, and do they but, know that? or? Uh, one of the characters does, kind okay. of. He managed to do a, uh, he contacted his patron um, and could only really ask yes or no questions, but he knows that he's alive and in some other reality. That's something at least they know yeah. to go looking for that's going to be good because i have a sneaking suspicion that the next thing wizards of the coast is going to bring out is some sort of dimensional plane book mm. where you get to go on to like the plane of fire you get to go to the plane of water and all these other ones and that kind of will go into all these portals and these options that would be so good would be so good <laughs> so you kind of picked up Going, finishing Prince of the Apocalypse, did you just go straight into Ghosts of Salt Marsh? Is it the same group that carried over? Uh, no, a bit of a different group. We've got a lot of different groups we play with. Um, some Once you're them, addicted, you just need a lot of groups. Yeah, and I think it's because the group that we did Princes of the Apocalypse with, one of the players decided he wanted to DM. Mm-hmm. So now he's DMing for us, and I'm a player, uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, the Ghosts of the Salt Marsh is a different group. Um, but, yeah, it did start sort of late last year, and it's going well, and I really like it because mm-hmm. it's so nice to organise as a DM. The the sections of each story or each part of their campaign, yes, it's a cohesive whole, but I like that it's the individual parts don't overwhelm you. Um, and yeah, because I found Prince of the Apocalypse to be a bit overwhelming. It's kind of like, well, they could go anywhere. Mm. What do I prepare for this session? Um, and sometimes they did. And you don't yeah. want to stop your players, you know, and railroad them. So, yeah. Yeah, it can get a bit overwhelming when you're suddenly having to go, well, I know what's over there, sort of. But I don't really. Let me quickly just check the book. Okay, there's a there's an ogre in the way. And while they're fighting the ogre, you're scanning through the book frantically to find out what's after the ogre. <laughs> yes, definitely. So how many games do you have then at the moment? Running at the moment, I should say. Running so that's at, at least moment, two. Yeah, so I'm DMing Ghosts of Saltmarsh. I'm also DMing a girl group, my feminist mm-hmm. D&D. Yes, um, we're represent. playing. <laughs> yes, it's so good. Um, we're playing Fandelva for, cool. for those girls. Uh, and then, yeah, Tales of the Yawning Portal. I'm in uh, Tomb of Annihilation. So I guess that's four. Four. So and four. running two of them. Cool. Yeah, playing two. Oh, no, there's a, there's a fifth one. I'm in uh, Tyranny of Dragons. Oh, wow. And really going my, through all of them. Yeah, my player is a kind of psychotic, kind of children of the corn type uh, boy wizard necromancer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Boy, wizard necromancer—that's my jam. Just <laughs> necromancer wizards—they're just great. Tell me what. So, children of the corn thing, just kind of like the the blonde bowl cut, the blue eyes, just kind of staring <sighs> at everyone while raises the undead from behind. From... Yeah, I mean he's sweet and ah, oh, it's a, it's a great story actually. He, um, I didn't start in that campaign. It was a group of uh, other people that I'd never met before, but my girlfriend from previous one she started dming them and she said why don't you join us we've only had one or two sessions 
you can join us. I've got a great idea. I've even got an NPC in mind that we can turn into a real character. And so I said, yeah, okay, you know, send me what you've got and I'll see if I want to keep it that way. I might want to make some changes. Um, Cause like I said, it's more fun when you make it yourself. Um, she sent it to me and she said, this little boy, Henry, what's his name? What's his surname? I forget. His whole family was murdered before his eyes and the characters, they didn't save him or they, I'm oh, sorry, they didn't save his family. And wow. I was right at the start of the, um, Ported the Dragon Queen in Green Nest. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's an actual NPC from that campaign. And I can't remember exactly what happened because I wasn't in that session. But later on that session, they the party had kind of just left the area that they were in and they were coming up to an ambush and they were going to probably die. They didn't have a lot of health. And she had this little boy, Henry, following them and then he saved their lives. And then the next session enters me and um as yeah, henry as henry wow. and he's his little sweetheart he was meant to be or at that point in time he was an evocation wizard uh, and he was kind of like a savant he was really smart he'd been taught how to be a wizard also from his uncle who's the archmage of everland and uh, things happened more of his or more of the party died in a couple of sessions later and then I just thought it would be fun to have this sweet little boy who had seen his family die before his eyes and then two more party members his best friend his little halfling rogue mate died as well I thought you know he already thought that he was a coward that he didn't save his family in that first session why don't we just turn him into a dark necromancer and mm, a little dark i guess he's not completely <laughs> evil yet um but have him so that he's not going to let anyone else die on his watch kind of thing yeah yeah that is that's awesome yeah uh, i love that just that idea of i can't i didn't save you in life but i can't let you go so yeah. just bringing them back from the dead to, to serve. And I can still play with you. It's great. Yes. And it comes off when you play it. He's so creepy. Mm -hmm. But in a funny way, everyone laughs. You know, the first time he raised um, some bodies from the dead and he made some zombies. He was like, these are my friends, Roy and Jim. And, you know, he's so innocent and yet so creepy. Oh, that, that just makes it, that's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, it's really fun. And yeah, kind of a collaboration between the DM and, and myself in the end. I think that's always the best when you can kind of bounce ideas off someone else for, for story. I think there's a lot of cases where you have, in session zero, where characters will go, okay, so our characters should be best friends or our characters should be exes or our characters should be working for each other or something like that and building that relationship between the characters suddenly means that when you're actually in the game role-playing you've already got this thing to build on yes. you've got these ideas that you can to kind of toss about a little bit yeah it's so useful and it kind of gives you a guide as to how you'd behave as well if you're like that's my best friend i'm going to stick my neck out for them above the rest of the party kind of thing yeah, yeah it's, it's good. and if Session they die zero. stuff's stuff's real. i had something similar happen with um when I joined my home group, I just, somebody else was starting a new character at the same time. I went, cool. We've been traveling together. We kind of know each other. We've saved each other's lives, that kind of thing. And about half, 
three months later, his character died. And my character was just devastated. And no one else really noticed because he was kind of standoffish anyway. But then slowly other people around him kept dying as well. So it ended up just being me and one other party member who were the original group. And by the end of it, my character's just like, I think it might be me. I think I'm the bad luck charm. Oh, that's so tragic. (laughs) And that ended in a total party kill. So it was just like, well, maybe he is. Wow. We've never had a total party wipe. Really? Yeah. I'm never sure whether that's a sign of a good DM or a sign of a good party. I know. I, I don't know either. Just no offense to my DM who did kill us all because he will be listening. <laughs> it, was a, it was our choice at the end of the day. Yeah. So you, that's the, um, the, the Horde of the Dragon Queen and mm. um, Rise of Tiamat one. How long have you been in that game for? That's only been this year. We started just before lockdown. Okay. We only played together once or twice in person and the rest has been online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know, I mean, a lot of people um, will probably be listening to this because they've seen your Instagram and seen the amazing minis you've been painting. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm wondering, how has it been a shift? Because I'm assuming you use a lot of these minis in the game. Has oh, there yeah. been a bit of an adjustment being like, well, I really love this mini. I'm not going to get to use it because we're playing online and I have a token for it now there has been at the start of the year when um everything happened i did kind of get in a bit of a funk with Mm -hmm. mini painting because as you say i can't i can't really some dms i've seen on instagram they're really organized and they've got a whole setup where they've got cameras and you know they can show their terrain and use their minis in game Mm -hmm. and i just can't see myself being that good at the technology side of showing the map and the mini so i still use roll 20 for while we can't play in person but i persist in painting so i'm the way i see it is i'm i'm organizing it for when we can play in person again Um, and in particular i'm really looking forward to co-dming the curse of strad campaign second time yeah Oh, because you've already gone through Curse of Strahd. I played in Curse of Strahd, and now I'm going to DM it again um, mm-hmm. with as a yeah as a co-DM. So I'll play some of the NPCs, and yeah, I'll probably do a lot of the miniature side of things. So I'm organizing a lot of those ahead mm-hmm. of time, and hopefully I'll get to craft some terrain as well. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Curse of Strahd is... I w- would be interesting to hear how that goes as a co-DMing of Curse of Strahd because I think if you can have someone who you can give Strahd to mm. to just kind of um, I kind of step into his skin and it doesn't put all the pressure on the DM to keep track of all the moving parts that are going on in Barovia yeah. and then having someone who can just go, no, no, I'm Strahd. And yeah, that's, I like that idea because there's a lot of stuff yeah. in Barovia to keep track of. And it can be tricky sometimes. You kind of want the party to kill off a bunch of NPCs so you don't have to deal with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, oh, it was so much fun to play. And yeah, definitely, I think it'll work out quite well. I can play some of the female, um, like Esmeralda and, and people like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think I'll be Strahd himself. I think I'll leave that to the other DM. He, yep. he did it really well the first time, so. That's yeah. that's fair. When someone's a great stride, you want them to stick around. Yeah. I talk so about this all the time. 
I talk about this all the time. I want to do a reskinning of Curse of Strahd set in the Louisiana Bayou. Oh, wow. So it's all swamps and wear gators and like a big plantation house instead of the castle. And I want to gender swap Strahd. Oh, that is so cool. And it's... just keep it as Irina, still as Irina. Yeah. And it's just like years ago, Strahd fell in love with Irina but couldn't be together because of all the stigma with same-sex relationships. Now it's many years later and it can happen, but Strahd's a vampire now. Oh, and it's wow. just been tormenting this entire region for so long that it's, it's oh, there's so much, so much potential for it and someday I'll get around to it. That is so good. What a great idea. I just love the idea of Strahd as a deep southern bell yeah i really must declare i will have you for dinner <laughs> i love it it's a little bit Anne rice actually yeah 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 a little bit Anne rice a little bit charlene Har- uh, Shalane harris i think yeah it's okay. there's a there's a lot of potential <laughs> in that american vampire feel to it oh that's brilliant but that's the that's the appeal of strad to me that you can play like you've already played it through once as a player and now you can go through again as a co-dm slash player because the story will be completely different. Yeah. It, like even yeah. just moving stuff around in the game, like going, well, they don't have to find Strahd here. They don't have to find the the sword there. It makes an entirely different experience for you. Well, yeah, I don't know um, what your situation was when you played it, but did you have the tarot cards from Madame Eva? I didn't have them like a, an actual tarot deck. I drew the I knew I was going to be running Curse of Strahd, so I drew mm. did a reading for the party before yeah. I even sat down at the table. Oh, and then when I they met Madame Ava, I was just like, this is what she comes out with. Yeah. Um, so that way I knew what to prepare and knew how to do it all. And they got a really bad reading. Oh. Uh, and they still managed to stomp all over everyone. <laughs> yeah. But there were seven. I think there were nine of them by the end of the, the session or by the last session. Nine... Nine players. Players? Yeah. How do you manage nine players? It's tricky. Yeah. I can't imagine. Uh, there was three ro- three rogues at oh, a time. Wow. And I think um, they went to, to Lake Valaki, mm. where there's the guy who's stolen one of the Vistania. And the little um, girl? Tr- yeah. And yeah. going to throw her in the lake. And they come out there and they save her. And everyone else goes back to the, the village. The three rogues just go, we're just going to hang back. And they all sneak attack this guy and just basically shiv him to death and toss him in the lake. I think they ended up doing like 300 points of damage or something like that because he was, they were like level seven or something at that stage and just shiv, 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 shiv until this guy dies. I'm like, this is justice. This is Barovian justice. Yeah. It's definitely with the setting for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that uh, Barovia is so evocative with its its atmosphere and with its, um, I mean, its architecture. You were talking before about maybe making some terrain for it. Mm. Um, have you had a chance to do any terrain yet or are you still mainly just uh, mini figures rather than mini terrain? I've done a, just a little bit of terrain. I bought some foam from Bunnings, but you need a very particular type of foam. And I think what I got, wasn't exactly what everyone else uses um, and the other thing that really helps is if you have a laser cutter but I don't think I want to invest in one of those just for you know potentially making some terrain so I think I'll I've seen a few people on Instagram there's one guy who does a lot with cardboard plus the foam and he's made some amazing things for Strad. 
you know, he's done Van Richten's Tower, he's done the Windmill, and that was all without a laser cutter. So I think I'll use him as inspiration and and um, and try some of that before the end of the year. Yeah, because it is yeah. kind of a learning experience, and every time you do something, you build. It's been it's learning to paint the same way. Mm, as yeah. you might make mistakes, but you do learn from it as well and keep going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, painting. I, I think I never even answered your uh, first question about when I started using the minis. No, I was uh, going to get back yeah. to it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. We get distracted. Um, it was last year. Um, one of the girls I worked with, she was painting them and playing at the same time. And I kept saying, but I had I had so many logistical questions kind of, but but how, how do you have all the minis you need? She's like, oh, well, we, we don't really. I'm like, but, but do you paint all the minis for every session? How how will you even organize them? How will you know I need this and that for the next session kind of thing? And she's like, oh, we just, we just, paint, we just buy them and we paint them. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, interesting theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just do it. I mean, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought, okay, I'll see what I can do beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I watched a whole heap of videos on YouTube of, of people painting minis. I thought, how hard is this going to be, really? I know people paint Warhammer and it looks fantastic. Um, is it going to be like that? And is it going to be as expensive as Warhammer? Because I know that is significant. Yeah, meth is cheaper. Yeah, exactly. It's plastic crack, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then I realized that a lot of the WizKids minis for the D&D line, um, they're not that expensive. You generally pay nine ninety five for two. Um, roughly and um, they're available in a lot of places now a lot of game shops even like zing and places like that and uh, the paints are cheap so i bought my first starter kit of paints it was 30 dollars, and it came with 10 paints the primary color is black and white and so i just started out with that and um, you can mix a lot with just 10 paints you can make a lot of different colors yeah, that's that where I, I always get stuck on mixing. Mixing is always my problem. Yeah. I want the color I want because oh. I know if I mess like mess it up, but if I want to do it again, I'm not going to be able to mix it right. Oh. And I want things to match. Yeah. So I'm just like, no, nah, if I can't get the actual color, I'm just going to paint it black. Oh, yeah. This is going to be, there's a lot of black models in my collection. <laughs> I can see that. I can see where that would bog people down. I think... I just kind of trust myself and go with it when mixing colors because you can kind of find that if you just do one drop at a time and you just remember in your head, okay, I use, you know, three different colors here and see how it goes. And then if you need more, you add more and it's on your palette from previously. So you can see how it looks and compare it and make it match anyway yourself. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's not that hard. I started trying doing it, like taking notes, going, okay, so for this character, this this model, I use this many drops and like two drops of red and one of white to get that slightly pink yeah. feel I wanted. And then I came back when I was painting again and went, I don't even remember which model this was. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people do it that way. That's good. I think you, it can be useful having a yeah. recipe. Um, I've never used a recipe. I just kind of go by eye and go, okay, I like that color. It has a good contrast with the, you know, cape or something. 
yeah. you know, and just make it how I want it. That's yeah. really the the appeal because I find you can get the the pre painted minis, but they lack a little something. Like WizKids does their all their um their blister packs mm. where you can just buy the minis and they they're good. They're really well made, but they are just random and you don't know yeah. what you're going to get. And the paint job is not quite as good as what you can do yourself, so you don't have that personalized aspect. Yeah, I know the we got one of those um, booster packs for Tomb of Annihilation. And you, you open them up, you're like, this is really exciting. It's, you know, lucky dip. Who knows what we'll get? Um, and then you, you line them all up and you look at them. And you look a little closer and you can see the paint's chipped and um, and things like that. So, yeah, the, the paint quality isn't the best, but it's nice enough to have for on the table, I guess. And yeah. once you've got them, you can repaint them to however you like anyway. Yeah, I managed yeah. to get three Frost Giant uh, minis right. in that. Because one of the appeals to me is you can get these big miniatures that you can't really get anywhere else. Yeah. Or you can sub in from some other game, but they're not quite what you need. Mm. So with three Frost Giants, I'm like, cool. If I paint one and experiment with that, I've got two spare. Yeah. And it also means I can throw three Frost Giants at my players. And (laughs) (laughs) they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're great for that reason, for sure. Some of them you're like, oh, I really want to get that, but it's such, it's so expensive to get mm. all all of the boosters in for one of the sets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just on the off chance you get it. I mini hab my mini habit is um, it's coming back. I've seen Hero Quest um with all the the Hero Quest Kickstarter that Hasbro has out, and I am probably going to get it just because of the minis. Uh, because it's going to get me every single orc I will ever need mm. and a whole lot of undead, which I already have, <laughs> but I'm going to get more anyway. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Do you remember the... Kickstarter's f- great. It is. It's so good for, for things like that. I mean, there's so many other great mini companies. Well, we could, we could go on and on. But what was... Do you remember your first mini, the first one you got that you painted and was like, this is something I want to use on the table? Mm-hmm. So... I started, the very first night I started, I made my own Instagram account for keeping myself accountable with the mini Mm -hmm. painting. Every single thing I've painted, I've posted on Instagram. And it's, it helps me uh, be motivated, I guess. Because I'm like, okay, if I paint once a week, then I can post once a week. And if I get behind in painting, then I'm going to get behind in posting as well. Um, but yeah, the first minis that I painted, I was quite strategic. I thought I'll just practice the main techniques I'd watched on YouTube for a few weeks before I even bought paints and minis. And it was just, you know, base painting, some dry brushing and a little bit of highlighting. And it was just gargoyles and spiders Mm -hmm. because they're just basic colors. Um, there's nothing too fancy. There's no clothes or little intricate bits to, you know, use with the fine fine small precise brush and I was really happy with them so I kept going uh, and I guess my first really proud moment was when I painted a couple of bugbears and they had clothes and armor and I was really proud of those and I still am I think I was gonna say bugbears have got fur too I mean yeah. that's the where I fall down first tough yeah uh, well I think I just dry brushed the fur with a couple of different shades and um, but yeah it was it looked they look good. Yeah, I've been told dry brushing is 
90% of painting now. Yeah, and washes. Yeah, washes and dry brushing. If you can do that, you've got painting set. Yep, pretty much. And I was like, no, it can't be that simple. I would have learned 20 years ago if it was that simple. <laughs> and it is that simple. It is, yeah. So that's an interesting thing because you kind of said you started with the, the basics, very simple gargoyles, things like that. When you're choosing what to paint, are you thinking about what you're going to be putting on the table or are you just looking at interesting models and minis and going, I want to paint this. I've got an idea for, for that. And this is maybe also when you're choosing what minis to buy. Mm. Lately, it's a lot of Strad yeah. uh, that I'm preparing. I have some ghosts uh, if you want them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but also for me, I don't know if you've had this experience before as well, but painting minis is very zen and yeah. it's my happy place, I guess. So, and some sorts of minis actually do cause me a little bit of anxiety mm. and worry over making them look great. Um, in particular, there was one that I was commissioned by a friend to paint the Xanathar mini. Oh, wow. And yeah. that one took me a long time because I kept procrastinating and putting it off because I knew I was painting it for a friend and I wanted it to look amazing. And I guess there was this kind of dissonance between what I wanted it to look like and what I knew I could achieve. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of what I've been painting these days is easy, quick things um, that I can get through fast to get down on the backlog because I've got an enormous box full of unpainted minis. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get through as many as possible. I have a box of minis that have been unpainted since the nineties. <laughs> oh, I still don't feel bad. Read. Yeah. <laughs> this is the mini collector's secret shame. Yeah. Of all the amazing miniatures that you do have painted and have on display, there is a mountain of other ones that just have never seen the light of day since you bought them. And oh, someday yeah. you'll get to them. Yeah, someday. And yet I've backed the Reaper Bones 5 core set, which will be, I don't know, hundreds more minis. Yeah. And then oh, the Reaper Dungeons. does a great, great one. Yeah. But it's going to be so many when they arrive and my pile of shame is already so big. Yeah. <laughs> But it just gives you more inspiration to keep going and go keep going for it. So do you paint um, minis for the other players at the table as well? Mm, yes. Uh, so I usually get them to pick the model they want that looks that suits their character and then ask them some questions about, you know, clothing, hair colour, eye colour, that sort of thing, and mm. then I paint it for them. Yeah. Excellent. I guess that's, it makes it look so um, so great on the table. Um, a couple of players at in my game, one of them, um, the DM, is an amazing painter as well, and another player at the table as well. Basically, between the two of them, we end up with this gorgeous set of minis in every oh, session because beautiful. they'll go to us before each, whenever we're creating characters. So what does your character look like? We design hero, minis in Hero Forge, so we have that individual look for them. Because that was a kind of leading to my next question. When they're picking the, the mini, do they go through the, the Bones catalogue? Do they just kind of have a miniature in mind? Or do you use a service like Hero Forge where you can design the character per spec, basically? Mm, we haven't used Hero Forge, but, um, yeah, it would be something for the future, I guess. Um, it's I'd good. Basically... It's expensive, but it's good. Yeah. yeah this it's... podcast not funded by Hero Forge. <laughs> 
um, what I've done in the past is I've given them a couple of websites that I use. Um, one of my favorites is Oz Miniature Hub and they have a lot of Reaper and also all the WizKids minis. So there's a huge range there. And because it's got a search feature, you can kind of just go rogue, look at all the rogue minis and see if any of them suit the character. Yeah, kind so, of like rogue with rapier, rogue with bow, kind of narrow it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we haven't used Hero Forge, but I think it would be great. I don't have a 3D printer, but mm. you can get them ordered, can't you? You can deliver yeah them. you can they'll print it for you and they'll ship it out to you it was i had a friend who ordered some just before the virus really took hold of the world um, and i was going to paint them for him but he ordered them start of june and they showed up start of sorry start of october oh yeah so it took him a little while to get them yeah <laughs> and of course being in lockdown he can't get them to me to start painting oh no <laughs> so he's got to wait even longer it's nice though that you've got a few painters in the group. I think that would mm. be fun to, you know, all all do a little bit or even have painting sessions as a social thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great way. I you know I know some the the DM, um, this is Ben on my other podcast of Dyson DMs, shameless plug. Uh, he will edit the podcast while painting. Oh. So he'll just kind of put headphones on, sit down with the paints sit there painting and then just kind of edit occasionally while stuff's drying. You'll get through a couple of miniatures in that way. Yeah, that's a great idea. And just that group painting stage, because you can bounce ideas off each other again. It's that shared experience of going, I don't really like how this is looking. Go, well, maybe if you try this, maybe if you do that, it's um, you get advice from people who are doing the same thing you're doing. It sounds like heaven. It does, doesn't it? Someday, someday it may occur when we can all leave our houses again. But uh, this may actually come out once we've already left our houses. So maybe we're already doing that. Well, I guess we'll find <laughs> yeah. out in a few a few months. But this comes back to, yeah. to your characters. So just thinking about Henry, your wizard, do you have a mini for him? Or have you just kind of subbed something in for him? No, I haven't. I haven't because he's been almost entirely in lockdown so oh, right. unfortunately course. i haven't organized a mini for for henry yet um but yeah a lot of my other characters i have um and not my latest one either who's the warforged artificer oh, really warforged good. artificer even yeah better. there's not many warforged minis out there um no they're tricky to come by yeah and so i know again hero forged has like a, a robot option which works very well for Warforged. Um, I think that's kind of what they were intending. But the Warforged have a very distinctive look. Yeah, because it's not armor per se. Yeah. No, it's kind of Android-y. Because I was going to ask, I know some people find a cool mini and go, I wonder what their backstory is or like say a barbarian with a, a massive sword and go, oh, I want to be that. I want to play that. And then I can paint it up. So I'm, I'm guessing you kind of come up with the character first and then find the miniature that suits yes. rather than. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we all would make our characters and then I'll say, okay, what about minis? We'll go, go from there. Yeah. So yeah, I've never really, hmm, yeah, I haven't really done it that way, but that could <laughs> be a fun exercise to have a one shot or something go hey guys here's all my unpainted minis pick something pick, a, pick something and make a character out of it that'd be fun oh, that, that sounds really fun because you can go okay so we'll pick 
have a one shot everyone pick a mini we'll paint it up and then we'll play yeah so you've already got that investment of i'm painting this one painting this guy with uh with blood on his axe because he's already killed a couple of guys today yeah and then take it home use it again (laughs) that's a great idea I might steal that. Yeah, me too. So you're getting a lot of stuff ready for Strad again. Um, and kind of listening through what you've been saying, you've kind of played through all the modules that Wizards have brought out. Yeah, we played a lot. Are there any ones that, not to kind of throw them under the bus and say, hey, some of these modules suck, are there any that just don't strike your interest? Uh, well, No. I think okay. I would play any of them, to be honest. I really want to play um, Out of the Abyss and yep. Descent into Avernus. That's yes. what it's called. I really want to play those two. Don't want to DM them. I want to be a player. Oh, d- DMing Descent into Avernus is so much fun because you get to offer them all these little deals and be like, well, you can get this really great thing, but you just got to give up your soul. It's just one or the other. And just seeing them work themselves into knots of, but we really need that thing. <laughs> it's just my soul. I can get it back. He's like, no, you can't. You can't get it back. Oh, but that sounds so tempting. It is. This is the point. This is why I'm so good at it. Because <laughs> I'm noticing that running all the modules, do any of the games you have um, develop into homebrew stuff? Or is it more you get through the module and then that's it for that campaign. Let's start a new one. One of them did. Uh, we played Storm King's Thunder, mm-hmm. and the DM did organize a homebrew for that. And we started playing a little bit of it, but then lockdown happened. Yep. And unfortunately, he didn't really. He he really wanted to do it in person, so um, that one's been put on hold until we can meet up again. Which who knows when that will be, really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's, an, it's something to look forward to and something to prepare for. Yeah, once. for sure. And what we did play was excellent. You know, yeah. you, wouldn't, you couldn't tell that it wasn't a pre-made campaign. It was mm. just as fleshed out and interesting and, you know, you had maps organised and everything. So it was really wow. cool. I think I just, myself, I think I gravitate towards the pre-made ones because... A lot of the resources are already out there. There's a lot of tips online, a lot of ideas and things. So I, I like having that extra stuff to fall back on. You know, Sly Flourish online recommendations for Ghosts of Saltmarsh, they're really helpful um, tweaks for how to make it better for your, for your players. So yeah. I think that's why I like that. I'm somewhat similar because I go back through classic dungeon magazines from the 90s again and find all these adventures that look really interesting there's one that i really want to run which is um level one or two characters are walking through the city one day and basically a fuel tank explodes and the entire city is now on fire and it just wipes out this wipes out half this city and the all the party gets shanghaied in or in press ganged into um serving in the fire brigade because the army has to step in and go, we have got to get this under control. So they start dealing with looters. They start dealing with fire elementals that have come across. The ghouls show up because like there's all these dead bodies. You've got to find out what actually happened. Why did this this thing explode in the first place? And it's this amazing short little campaign that you have. And it was just from a random Dungeon Magazine article from like 92 or something. And a couple of these have actually made their way into Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So I think it was... um, Oh, 
the the island where there's the the skeletons coming out of the sand Mm, Isle of the Abbey, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm talking about this anyway. That um, I gave that to my players, and a couple of months later went into Strad, and I took the mercenary from that Bayleaf, the Elven mercenary, who suddenly became this major NPC following the party around. He comes into Barovia and becomes this huge element in it, oh, which wow. I wasn't even expecting. So the games they just kind of develop, but when you've already got a structure, when you've already got a story that's been tested and been checked it leaves the dungeon master free to run wild yeah so you can go well what if i brought that bit in what if i did this and you're because you've already got that that outline from the module you know where your limits are you know what will happen if you push them a little bit too far or what happens if they break but you can you can move things around and you get um that opportunity to to really develop I said, I'm sure that just sounded like a stream of consciousness rant because yeah, that's how it sounded in my head. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> no, it made total sense. You know, you've got that basis and then you can pick and choose from the best of things from all yeah. other different resources. And yeah, it's it's a really good way to do things. That, uh, you know, fireman episode, that sounds so fun. It's and almost, really good. Yeah, it, it's almost like, you know, one of those situations too where it was like, maybe it arose from some players just deciding let's be firemen today and not be adventurers that's kind of looking back at it it's actually um the guy that wrote it was a volunteer firefighter and uh, he says that it was from a training session where they were told what would happen if one of the like a gas tank at a fuel tank at a petrol station exploded what is the procedure he's like that'd make a great campaign it would (laughs) explosions in a fantasy city where everything's wood that's going to be an interesting adventure for everyone Mm. yeah for sure with the modules so you've got strad lined up Mm. and i get and you're doing goes to salt marsh you don't really seem like the person who's only got one campaign going at a time for some reason uh what else are you looking forward to besides avernus and um and out of the abyss because those are kind of the the goals yeah uh, are you expect is there something that wizard of the coast is lacking like an adventure style because those are very much all the mm-hmm. the adventures out so far are very much they've got their own style to them yeah. is there something that you'd like to try that hasn't come out yet maybe oh, that's a great question that is a really really good question um too sure i think i would love to have a campaign set in eberron yeah you know they've actually the eberron book's great as a resource um but i would i i was disappointed that the last few books weren't set there um actually the new one looks really good yeah 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 that sound that's a great idea having a little bit more kind of paranoia and fear and horrors in that um yeah i think we'll definitely be buying that one and one of us will dm it whether it's me i'm not sure i think doing two is enough at a time as a dm for me so when one of them finishes i'll probably start a new one Mm. Um, well you're only halfway through ghosts of salt marsh so you still got a bit of time on that one yeah we're a little bit i think we're a bit over halfway now because they're they're at level seven um Mm. and they've yeah once they finish this i think there's only two more 
um, little mini adventures after the final enemy to do. So. Yeah, once the Sahua are going to kind of the overall threat of Salt Marsh, everything else is just kind of flavor for this sea based campaign. Mm. Uh, and after that, it's like, well, there's some more sea adventures you can do, but you've kind of beaten the boss in the area mm. now. Mine's and the rest. kind of tied in with the Princes of the Apocalypse campaign. Oh, cool. So it's a little bit like it's um, the cultists who failed in the Deseran Valley have come here. Mm-hmm. And so the, the cultists and the flavor of salt marsh is matching with them. They're the failed cultists trying to um, resurrect, um, what's his name? The sunken, the chained god. Yes. Yeah. Darzadin. Yeah. No, that's that's great because you're also then building a world that they're all in. Yeah, that you've got these callbacks to the previous previous mm-hmm. campaigns. And the players who were in Princes of the Apocalypse, they've really appreciated that. So they're all like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> they were some fun moments. Ah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, we've been going on for a while, um, and I'm kind of inspired to go do some painting. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so we'll we'll wrap up the episode there, but. Uh, where can people find you online if they're wanting to check out some of the, the mini work you've done? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's nat20painting. Excellent. So um, I'll put a link in the show notes as well for that. Uh, and the last thing I do, um, well, the second last thing I do is thank you for coming on. It's been a wonderful time for me getting Aww. to chat um, and hear about all your adventures. But the last thing I do get asked ask people to do is say farewell to our listeners as uh, one of your characters. Henry, if you'd like, or you can pick another one if you okay. want to. Okay, yeah, I'll be Henry. Um, thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time. That's all now, right. Now I'll be Henry. Okay, bye everyone. My name's Henry. It was so good to talk to you today. That's the episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Nat again for coming on and um, telling me about her D&D character. Uh, Henry's a... Oh, so many... <laughs> so many feels when we were talking about Henry. I just had ideas sparking in my mind. Just as I said in the episode Necromancy, it's my jam. I don't know why. I, it's weird and creepy and dark and goth and I like it. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcast. Share me with your friends. Uh, you can also find me on my other podcast of Dice and DMs that I do with Ben and Tori, where we talk about why we play. Uh, there's a really good episode going up tomorrow that I think you'll all enjoy if you enjoy this podcast. You can also send me emails. Um, tell me about your D&D character is available on Facebook, which is just at tellmeyourdnd. The email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. I already said Facebook, didn't I? I meant to say Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at tellmeaboutyourdnd or Twitter, which is tellmeyourdnd. Uh, I love to hear back from everyone. What I'm trying to do is get more people on the show, uh, and it really will be people who have an interesting... I want I want your suggestions of who I should get on. I'm getting some interesting people coming up uh, in future episodes. A lot of teachers are going to be really interesting. A couple of actors, uh, some business people as well. But like we had with, with Nat today, uh, people who have a different take on D&D and kind of talking about where their ideas come from, just so everyone gets, an, gets a chance to experience a different way of playing sometimes. Art for the show is by Tori Tedeschi. 
Music is by Poddington Bear. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, everyone. May all your hits be crits.